This is It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata. We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. Lindsey Patterson, Mike Santagata. Mike, what is up? I'm just wondering, what are the merits of moving your Christmas tree versus taking it down? Okay, I'm just here to say that I wanted to keep this Christmas tree up until the football season ended for the Cincinnati Bengals. And then I decided, you know what? I do like my Christmas tree up because sometimes I just want the lights on the tree and it brings joy during dark times of the off season. And I might just keep it up all season long to be determined. We'll see if it if it's up there the rest of the season until uh, September kickoff, maybe. I just feel like if I was going to move it, I might as well just take it down. I don't know. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I like to make things harder than easy. So uh, we're just going to keep it up back there. And yeah, I like my Christmas tree up. I'm never going to take it down. But how are you doing? Not great. I'm sick. So we talked about that. But just to let the listeners know that the reason I sound terrible is I'm sick. Yeah, please feel sorry for Mike right now. He's just, he's getting through it. Not COVID. I'm still batting a thousand on being one of the few non-COVID people, but that is good news. Still sucks. <laughs> being still sick, sucks. top top five worst things that happen in life. You know, you know what else just isn't really awesome or just Twitter alone last week when it comes to the T. Higgins rumors. I feel like people just run with an article and they don't even read it. They take a screenshot of it and then they put it in their own words and it's retweets and photoshops. And we've kind of joked about it before with T. Higgins and what this offseason could look like. I have no doubt that T. Higgins is going to be a Cincinnati Bengal next year. I honestly feel good about saying he'll be a Bengal the following year. After that, I don't know what that looks like. But I know internally the Cincinnati Bengals want to look to extend T. Higgins. I don't think that's going to happen this offseason. But that would be a huge surprise and great for this team. And I still think they can do it this offseason, even though Joe Burrow is going to be number one on the list when it comes to contract extensions. But what do you make of just social media and this T. Higgins stuff? the Dov Kleiman report thing that he read Paul Danner's opinion article about, well, the Bengals could trade T if T's asking price is outrageous because of whatever, which I already think is like, you, you cover the Bengals. The last time they traded a starting player never happened on draft night. Only one I could find Keith rivers, 2012 for a fifth round pick. And I was just like, no, I mean, like, that's like, a, yeah, he was a high pick, but he was kind of disappointment after the injury type thing. They were probably moving on anyway. Um, they don't, they're not moving on from T. I would be legitimately shocked if he's traded instead of kept the next year. Because right or wrong, like, you could say it's the wrong move because maybe you can get a couple first round picks or something. They don't trade these guys the year before they're not the Patriots. Like we're going to trade this guy while his values at its highest type situation, they hold on. And then if negotiations break down, they'll probably even still tag him. Like they did Jesse Bates and let him play it out and then get the third round comp pick. The only way I could see them trading him even on the tag in a couple of years, like the only way I see him trading him is if like, he doesn't want to play. Because then you get a Carson Palmer type situation. Uh, but yeah, they're not going to trade him. That, that's just the Bengals don't do business that way. I would just, I would be legitimately shocked if T. Higgins isn't a Bengal next season or even the year after. Because I think some people have put into the idea that like, well, trade him because you can get, uh, you know, all these picks and stuff. But the Bengals Super Bowl window is at its widest right now. And what you do by trading T Higgins, even for like the first round, the first overall pick that that won't happen because that pick's going to be very overrated. And if you're not getting a quarterback, but who's better year one, who's better year one, Jalen Carter, Will Anderson, whoever, or T Higgins, it's T yeah. because he's, he's like a top 10 ish wide receiver. Jalen Carter's could be awesome. But look at all of the high draft picks, unless you get sauce Gardner, you're probably not ecstatic about losing. You're probably not getting a better, sorry, probably not getting a better player year one when you're talking about a super window that right now is at its widest. So I kind of fall into that of 
why trade him when you have the Super Bowl window right now versus uh, holding on. But no, I, I agree with that. And the thing is, the front office has even talked about that before. Duke Tobin has mentioned it, and I'm I'm paraphrasing a little bit of the quote here, but he had said he's not trying to make other rosters better. And if you give someone T. Higgins and an unknown first-round pick, it's just not worth the value. And what T. Higgins brings to this offense is absolutely huge. When they were without Jamar Chase and they went 3-1, and one, uh, you, you you needed a guy like T. Higgins out there, or you look at the game against Kansas City. I know they didn't win, but you still have a chance because T. Higgins and Jamar Chase are out there when Tyler Boyd goes down. This team is really good at drafting wide receivers, but it's still extremely important to keep T. on this on this roster, and he isn't going anywhere. I feel very confident in saying that. And the thing is, if you're going to do a Photoshop of T. Higgins, at least get his number correct for next year. He's number five. Feels like none of these people even know what number he's going to be uh, next season, and I just I think it's just such a waste of time, and it's absolutely crazy. I I hate when people with big followings make this something that it's not, and it's not realistic. Even Dan Orlovsky, who I really enjoy on NFL Live, he retweeted it like, "Oh, you got to make that offer." I want to say Chicago, and I'm like, "Come on, you can't you can't buy into this stuff. It, it's false." It isn't happening. I know how people feel about who T. Higgins' agent is. Uh, but look, the Bengals are known for for paying their wide receivers and their quarterbacks. And I know that this is the core that we even talked about on a couple of podcasts ago. If you were to look at the core of the Cincinnati Bengals on offense, you would say Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, and T. Higgins. Uh, they're two number one receivers, and you're not trying to get rid of them right now. And as you mentioned, you're in, you're in your window. Um, and you have these next two years before it really starts to get on the books when it comes to some of these contract extensions. So I don't know. It was just it was kind of annoying. I was I was over that news on uh, Thursday and, and Friday. What took up social media when it comes to just outside stories and not people internally. And as you mentioned, that was a Paul Daner opinion piece. It wasn't any facts or anything like that. Just kind of like, hey, if this happens. Maybe this is a possibility. But Higgins is going to play for the team next year. He's going to be wearing number five when they're playing at Paycor Stadium, when they're on the road. Uh, he's going to be a huge part of this offense next year, and I just – I need people to stop making up things. The thing that made me mad was uh, Dov put it report as his first thing. So already it was an opinion piece. It wasn't a report. And then said the Bengals could trade T because his asking price is whatever, which paints T in a bad light. Yeah. As if he's asking outrageous money. We don't know that. And then also puts in the idea that the Bengals are looking to trade him, which I don't think anybody is saying. And then I'd also look at um, Paul mentions, I think, who the Titans and Minnesota as, yeah. as his reasons why that could happen. The Titans got worse, like much worse. The Packers got much worse. Yeah, the Titans lost their GM over that. Uh, I mean, the only team that I think made that trade and stayed the same was the Chiefs. They traded mm -hmm. Tyreek Hill, and they are able to maintain offensive efficiency like that. But they tried to extend him first. <laughs> they didn't trade him because they were like, eh, who needs wide receivers? It wasn't a wide receivers don't matter thing. It was a, uh, well... He doesn't want to be here. <laughs> so if you get to the point where T doesn't want to be here, but he's cost controlled, he's just so cheap since he was a second round pick for this year. And then even next year on the tag, it's not great, but hopefully you work out an extension and then the money doesn't hit for a few years. So yeah, it made me upset because it wasn't just like, I don't care about other teams making the photoshops and doing this yeah. and that and getting excited. It just means you got a good player, but, uh, the thing that made me upset was it was reported he made it into a report and made it seem as if T was asking outrageous money type. Thing. It just felt like slimy. And then he got the whole, he said the Atlantic and it was the athletic and he just kept all the tweets up after he apologized for the work that he did on social media. I'm like, no, if you, if you make something like that, you just delete it. But no, he wanted those interactions and retweets and it was just absolutely silly, but internally, uh, no, that is not what's happening behind the scenes. And the thing is, I want to make this really quick point when there is discussions because of the comparisons of Jesse Bates and T Higgins having the same agent, the Bengals, no offense to Jesse Bates, but they're going to value T Higgins a little higher than they did Jesse Bates when it comes to the number and guaranteed money and what that contract's going to look like when it's the wide receiver and safety. So those are two different conversations. And at the end of the day, if the Bengals give them a good number, guess who's going to sign on the dotted line? And sometimes 
the player is going to make that decision on who they want to play with. I mean, I, I don't think I'd want to be leaving Joe Burrow anytime soon, especially if the money's there. Yeah. Uh, I think the agent handles a lot of that, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, eventually you can, as a player, uh, make that case, but we don't know anything. I don't even know like how deep these talks have gone with them, where they are, anything like that. I don't think there's been any report either side about T is asking for too much or the Bengals aren't willing to pay him what he's worth. It seems middle of the road. I don't know. Maybe they haven't even talked that much because they're worried about Joe first. Yeah, no, I agree. And who knows? And and we'll hear more as, as that gets closer. Maybe this is more of a next offseason thing, which definitely feels like that when it comes to contract extensions. Looks like number nine is going to be the number one priority uh, going into the rest of this offseason. We'll move on to wide receivers. T. Higgins, one of his favorite players, A.J. Green. <clears throat> Announced his retirement on Instagram yesterday. AJ Green actually started the post with not a man of many words. And, and he was always like that in Cincinnati. And unfortunately, I think about this Bengals team over the last two years. And you can think about AJ Green and, and his prime and what he was. And unfortunately, at the end of his career in Cincinnati, it was the franchise tag, the injuries, and everything just kind of caught up with him when we never really got to see the AJ Green we saw in his prime. And I always think about these two years in Cincinnati. And if I could pick a few players that I wish were on the roster right now, playing at their best ball, AJ Green would always be, be one of them and uh, kind of bittersweet for him to announce the retirement, but definitely understand he's at that point in his career. It's cool. His last game, he caught a high point touchdown, uh, made a couple guys miss. That was awesome. I, I remember seeing that it was week 18 meaningless game, David Blau at quarterback. The great trivia with AJ Green is who threw his first touchdown, Bruce Gradkowski, because Dalton got hurt during the game and the broadcast only caught half of it because it was a quick snap. And then who threw his last touchdown, David Blau. <laughs> it's like not neither, neither one are going to be names anybody remembers going forward. But yeah, I mean, AJ was in his prime. I think he had a strong case as one of the if not the best wide receiver in the league. Uh, he was on an offense that I don't think threw the ball the same amount as some other ones. So his productivity didn't always hit the same levels and he didn't have the quarterback play of some other players, but he was awesome. Uh, the turf toe, it felt like that kind of just derailed the career almost. Um, he was on like a hall of fame level trajectory, always getting a thousand yards in a pro bowl every single year. And then, it just the injuries crept up. It felt like, uh, but always gonna be one of my favorites. His game in 2016 against the New York Jets, I think, is the one I always think of with him because it was Darrell Revis versus AJ Green, and AJ had a had a home on Revis Island. <laughs> it was payback too over uh, the um, Revis and the Chad thing in 2009, where it felt like that was kind of the end of Chad, and then. AJ was like, all right, full circle. This is the end of Darrell Rivas. Yeah. I mean, he was just an, always a classic guy. I mean, I remember when he was first drafted in 2011. I was an intern at the time, and I was going down to Georgetown camp, and I'm like, what am I doing down here? I have no clue how to work this recorder. And I think AJ Green and Andy Dalton were two of my first interviews down there, and he's always just been such a nice guy and, and a class act. And one of the things about him, you know, of course, I wish, you know, his season or his career could have ended in Cincinnati, but good for him to go to Arizona for a few years. Last Super Bowl season – he, again, not a big social media guy. He rarely posts on his Instagram, but he had to put it on his story when the kick went through and the Bengals punched a ticket to the Super Bowl. And the first thing he said was, I had to get back on my Instagram and activate it because, you know, I'm so happy for all the fans in the city of Cincinnati, the, the, the team, they're a bunch of ballers uh, when they were going to the Super Bowl. And, and you think about it because, I mean, AJ was so close to being on that roster. I know he was going, it, was, it wasn't the same AJ Green, so it definitely made sense to move on from him uh, with, you know, the contract talks and it just, it just didn't work out. And I think you bring up a good point that the turf toe really kind of just turned things in a different direction, but I just thought of him and, and was like, Oh man, just a class act. And I think, you know, the hall of fame conversation, it's, it's going to be a complicating one. Um, you know, it's going to be hard for him to get into the hall. I, I, I'd like to be surprised. Maybe he does get in the hall of fame one day, but the ring of honor definitely seems likely to be determined on when that's going to look like for the outlook of that for the Cincinnati franchise. But uh, just an overall class act and Cincinnati's just 
good at getting those wide receivers. Definitely when you pick in the top five, the top 10, you're going to get a, get a, a few gems, but, um, but I, I was happy that, you know, he spent most of his career here and, and always just a joy to be around. Yeah. They don't seem to draft too many uh, J- Justin Blackman types. They, they seem to hit the AJ green Jamar chase type. So it's cool. He's definitely a ring of honor member uh, where that would be, but for wide receivers and he doesn't have all the stats to hit it. He didn't make the all decade team. I don't think he has any first team all pros. He has some second teams. So it, when you stack the case that way, and then you look at like a Julio Jones and all these other guys that have the accolades, it's going to be tough for him to beat those guys. And then you hope he could sneak in. Um, I think that we're, we're at the end of the segment, but I think Geno Atkins might have the better case just because he did make the all decade team and he has a couple first team all pros, but they are a little bit similar. Yeah. Georgia guys. Uh, maybe one of them, maybe one of them gets in, but, uh, but yeah, we wish AJ all the best. And uh, next we're going to get to all of the work you're doing behind the scenes this offseason. You're already watching the tape, getting those draft prospects next on it's always game day in Cincinnati. is It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata. We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati every Tuesday during the offseason because it started a week early for the Cincinnati Bengals. Mike Santagata, Bengals underscore Sands, he's going to break it down. You're going to send him a few prospects, and I know people on social media actually already did that, so I'm going to have you dive right in. Who are you watching? Who's going to be on this roster in 2023? I'm watching like all the running backs right now. I just, I want to get a feel for the entire class. I don't know. When I start watching guys, I start going into like, I just watch like a position and I just kind of like go through everybody there. I did that last year with a few different guys. Um, But yeah, I don't know. The running backs are cool. Uh, The number one guy. And I think the one that's going to be the most controversial to discuss is B. John Robinson from Texas. I, I think he's awesome. He's a five-star recruit. You know, he's kind of labeled as the best running back since Barkley, but I also think that's a little bit of like, well, who's his competition? <laughs> like Najee Harris. <laughs> uh, uh, so like Najee's a fine prospect, but yeah, I, I don't think there's been another part level guy, but he's awesome. What's surprising to me is a lot of times you get these, five star he knows he's a stud running backs and then it's like okay but like how's the dirty work how's the pass protection that's the thing that's gonna matter here you know like he's good (laughs) i was surprised it was like almost a little bit shocking that he's able to scan across the to the opposite side find rushers over there he holds up well he has, seems to have pretty solid technique when he does everything they've got a better pass protector in roshan johnson um which we could probably discuss him at some point but uh Bijan, for being such a good runner and i'll get into that in a minute but yeah this is the thing that shocked me was oh this guy could actually pass protect because i think that's a huge thing for if you're going to draft a first round running back, you don't want them to have to be a liability on third down or to have to come off the field on third down. And he shouldn't. I think he would be a workhorse three down back. He's got good size, I believe. Checks. I wanted 20 pounds, which is pretty big. Let's see what uh, Texas has him listed at. Of course, we're going to get all the combine and pro day and all those other numbers eventually so it's taking a second to load he feels like 222 222 so he feels like uh you know obviously the uh, the twitter social media reaction is he's no longer a sleeper a lot of people are paying attention to him but you mentioned first round and i think that scares a lot of people when it comes to the draft and running yeah. backs in the first round but i also feel with the cincinnati bengals at 28 it is best player available right now obviously outside of the quarterback position and um you know i i'm even open to wide receivers but even though this draft class doesn't feel like it's it's really heavy on the jamar chase justin jefferson's in the first round that you're really not going to see see by the time the bengals pick or, or any wide receiver in the first round so 
with a running back, you would feel comfortable with this team taking him at 28. I think so. I mean, it depends on who's there, but I gave him a first round grade. I didn't give him the top five Jamar Chase type grade because I, I think some people have tried to compare him to Adrian Peterson and Saquon Barkley and things, but I don't think he's the elite level top end speed athlete of those guys. I think that's the one thing that's a little bit lacking might be a little bit more Willis McGahey than he is Adrian Peterson, but I think he's really, really good. So if he is the best option, like if you don't like Dewan Jones from Ohio state and I haven't watched him, I just know he's a big guy and people have tried to say, pick him, but like, you don't like him and your Darnell Wright is gone and you don't like the corner. Like if you don't like some of the guys that are there, there's nothing wrong with taking uh Bijan Robinson at 28, just because you get the fifth year option. He's a little bit cheap. He's cap controlled for the next five years. It lets you save in the running back room. Cause I assume you probably don't keep anybody else that costs money in that room. Um, so I, I'm not fully against it. He's got good vision. Sometimes he does a little bit too much with it. I think he's, he's, it passes up like good opportunities looking for the great opportunity, but it's because he's seeing it really well. He thinks this should happen. He sets up his blocks really well. Um, he's got a good jump cut. He runs, finishes his runs. Uh, he can make guys miss. He, he's a different mover uh, when it comes to short area and stop start. I think that's the one thing it's like, he's got such good burst and he can also decelerate really well. So there's a lot to love about him as a running back and he can catch the ball and he can pass protect. So the, Three down back, <clears throat> pretty much checks every box. The only reason I think that you probably wouldn't want to take him like the top 15 picks is because he doesn't have that Saquon Barkley different level athleticism, give him an inch and he can take it to the house type thing. He's more so give him an inch and you'll get like 15 yards. <laughs> so I don't know. I love him. I think he's really good. I think he is probably the best running back prospect since Barkley, but like I mentioned, that might say a little bit more about who those guys have been. You could talk about Jonathan Taylor just because of who he became, but Jonathan Taylor was a third running back taken in that draft. So I don't know if he was the same prospect coming out, but yeah, I like him a lot. I think the debate is, is it worth in the first round? Um, even though he can play all three downs, there's still the case of the running back doesn't matter as much as the offensive line for the running game. And can he contribute enough as a pass catcher? I don't know. Uh, but I find I find myself on the end of it's not a bad pick to take him at 28. I think you're taking somebody at surplus value. If he is certainly the best player available, which is very likely if he's there, uh, pick 28. A lot of time that's not that's not the best spot. Uh, so uh, yeah, if if it comes down to it and you're looking at him and you don't like the guys that are around him, tight ends. <clears throat> uh offensive linemen defensive linemen yeah why not just take the guy that is clearly i think the thing is that his floor seems to be like a very good running back i think you just take like a safe i don't think the colts regret taking quentin nelson even if it was a position that wasn't that valuable they got an all pro guard and a guy that contributed immediately as a rookie let me ask you this. And obviously he is not a draft prospect, but you mentioned Barkley. I'm going to play a scenario game because paying running backs is very questionable. Obviously Cincinnati's in a situation to be determined on what they do with Joe Mixon. We've had this conversation as soon as the season ended, when it comes to his contract, will they restructure? Will they move on after June 1st and, and save quite a few uh, millions of dollars when it comes to Joe Mixon, the running back position. If, you could in this scenario say you don't go running back in the first round. We'll get to more draft prospects in just a moment. And Barkley was nine to 10 million for a one-year deal. Would you do it? Um, Barkley's nine to 10 million on a one-year deal. Probably. I'd probably do that. <laughs> I mean, you have the room. <laughs> yep. uh, yeah. And he's awesome. The only thing is he doesn't pass protect. Like that's, I think the thing about him is he, he won't pass protect well. So you either have to get him out on the route or you got to keep like P Ryan in there just in case. Mm -hmm. But I do think that something this offense really lacked throughout the year was explosive plays and not just in the passing game, but in the running game. 
they didn't create very many explosive plays in the running game. And there's more than one reason for that. But I do think part of it is both the running backs and some of this was Mixon's injury were a little bit slower. So why not add a little bit of juice to that room? And whether that would be Barkley on a nine, one I year. Mean, Probably not. I don't think I don't think Barkley wants to sign for that. And I also don't think uh, that Barkley's leaving New York. I think they're going to pay him. Or is it Bijan Robinson at the end of round one, which I also don't think is that likely. I do think a team's going to fall in love and take him. But if he's there, I think it's a reasonable pick. He is a certainly a first round prospect. I mean, you need someone who's going to produce right away. They had this luxury a little bit with Dax Hill last year because you drafted him for a reason that he was more than likely going to be a Jesse Bates replacement, and they were able to do that in the first round. Cam Taylor Britt had to step up a little sooner than than we thought in his rookie year, uh, but I feel like that's going to work out for Cincinnati uh, when it comes to how they drafted last year. This year, I say best player available, who can be on the field, who can produce right away, and I love an offensive weapon. Is there any other running backs that you would say, yes, take a 28 or maybe they are a late second rounder. Nobody else at 28. Um, but I've got two guys, mainly one. Uh, so, I mean, the obvious one, I think when you look at all the draft boards and stuff is if Jameer Gibbs is available in the second round, late second round, I think that's a good pick. He gets come to Alvin Kamara a lot and I don't, he's a great receiver. I don't see it as much because Kamara, I think had some of the best, has some of the best balance and just like guys hit him and somehow he stays upright type thing. I don't think Gibbs has that to me. He's and also Kamara can run between the tackles really well. And he's about 215 pounds. Uh, Gibbs is like 200 or so. It reminds me more of like a, he's not as fast, but like a CJ Spiller. Uh, and that's both in awesome receiver can return a little bit. And also I think he's better in the open field than he is in tight quarters. So I I think there's a little bit there with Gibbs that will turn the Bengals off a tiny bit. And what I mean there is he doesn't hold up that great in pass protection. He tries and he knows what he's doing. He's just like 200 pounds. So guys can run him over sometimes. Uh, and they're not going to love that, I assume, because they don't love that Mixon can't do it. But he is an electric athlete a good runner. And if he gets into the open field, he's awesome at setting up his blocks and running in the open field like that. So that's a, that's a guy, if he's late second round, I think that would be somebody the Bengals should look at, but it gives, they'll probably pause a tiny bit about the size and about the pass protection. All right. Well, we'll see what happens in the first or late to second round. I know you're going to get a lot of questions on other positions, but I feel like it's going to be offensive line heavy. And you don't have to really go into detail, or not even in the first round, but just offensive line heavy because people are like, you need to add to the line. I still do not trust this team when it comes to dropping offensive linemen. I just, I don't feel good about it. I'd love to be proven wrong. But the thing is the future of the left tackle position is something we have to start thinking about. They don't even have the right tackle position secured right now. Lyle Collins to be determined, and I don't feel great about it. Um, him coming off of this ACL injury, it was Christmas Eve weekend, so it's going to be a pretty quick turnaround by the time training camp gets here for an offensive lineman. But at the same time, you have to think about the future because it does feel like Jonah Williams is going to be playing for one more season at left tackle for this position. So without really getting into a lot of player positions because you're going to be breaking all of that down when it's tied in, offensive side of the ball, we'll flip to the defensive side of the ball because I still think that's extremely important when you think of this defensive line. You've got to get to the quarterback. We've talked about it before on the AFC North, on the other side of the ball. There's some terrifying guys that Joe Burrow has to face in this division. And it would be really awesome if the Bengals could add a few more guys on their D-line too. But if you were to look at the offensive line position right now, and this team is drafting late in the first, second round, it's a good part about being when you're when you're a good team uh, in the NFL, you're going to be drafting late. And I'd like to keep it that way. But do you feel good about any prospects when it comes to O-line drafting in the first or second or third round? I don't have too much of a feel. I watched a little bit of Broderick Jones because I watched Kenny McIntosh and I am not a Kenny McIntosh truther. I think he's Danny Woodhead without pass protection as a running back. But uh, Broderick Jones is very strong. I think the games move moves a little bit fast for him because he seems to slow himself down a little bit. And uh, But he's really strong. I don't think he has a great kick just yet. 
which I don't think a lot of these guys do when I watch like a senior bowl thing. Uh, everybody's hyping up these like Dewan Jones clips and he's, I, I, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if that holds up in the NFL. <laughs> you put a wide nine Josh Sweat over there, TJ Watt. I'm not sure if he holds up the same way as he does with a tight uh, guy that's going to go in the sixth round. But yeah, I, I like Broderick Jones. I can see the vision. He's a left tackle. Um, maybe you want a right tackle. Darnell Wright seems to be interesting at right tackle. The guy I think is going to go much higher than is anticipated and I think it'll scare some people because it's going to sound a little bit like somebody that they've drafted before in the late first round. But Jalen Duncan from Maryland has a different level of foot speed than everybody else. And he's got a good kick slide already. Hands not fully there and he doesn't hold up to power. Um, so I don't even know if you want to play him year one, which is why you have Jonah Williams. He's a left tackle. But there is something about the way he mo- he's going to blow up the combine. And I think he's going to be the best ta- the best tester on offensive tackle. And uh, the, just the, when I, I've only seen a few clips, but the way he can get out to his spot, he can get his like two kicks in before the defender gets two steps in. And that's really key to being able to pass protect like that. I think some with the Bengals, I really think you have to be able to pass protect it. Run blocking's, Good. It's fine. Um, but the Bengals, I really think you have to pass protect because they like to go five-man protections. They like to go empty, and they like to throw the ball. you got to protect the quarterback. So sometimes seeing all these highlights of these guys run blocking, and I'm just so like, that's great. Maybe for a different team <laughs> if they can't pass protect because it's just so important when you have the franchise quarterback and the run game. It's there, and you want to have a good run game, but that's secondary, I think, to – the Bengals ask a lot out of their offensive tackles. It's, I think that's why some of the guys they have have bad stats and stuff because they're just, they have a hard job. So I don't know. I think Broderick Jones, I can see the vision. Uh, Darnell Wright, I can see the vision. And Jalen Duncan, I can see the vision. And I think it'll upset people that you probably take him at 28. You don't take him where the mock drafts are currently having him going like the third or fourth round. I'm like, guys, this guy's going to run like a 4 7, 4 8, 40. He moves different. He just, he's so quick, but he he's not strong right now. So he has to be able to anchor in and do all that type of stuff better. But yeah, I saw Duke Mannyweather also say that guy's going in the first round. And I was just like, yeah, I I mean, I don't understand the fourth round PFF mock simulator thing. Well, well, I mean, the biggest thing is if you are paying your core, you've got, you need to develop your offensive line in the draft. You need to take advantage of those contracts and what those would look like when you're paying your other superstars on offense. And I think it's extremely important to look at the outlook of Jonah Williams. Look, he's going to be the left tackle next year. I feel very confident in saying that when you pick up the fifth year option. But other than that, you know, nothing is certain when it comes to Jonah Williams and what his future looks like. And I don't know, unless he has a crazy year, that they're going to pull out a multi-year contract for Jonah Williams in the future. I think it's one more year in Cincinnati and to be determined on what it looks like after that. So you have to be thinking about the future because this O-line isn't secured yet. And uh, we'll really get to see what that looks like when it's musical chairs at a training camp in July with Frank Pollock. But we'll move on the coaching carousel. Luana Rumo, Brian Callahan, Dan Pitcher, what that really looks like for the Cincinnati Bengals coaching staff on it's always game day in Cincinnati. This is it's always game day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata. We are back on it's always game day in Cincinnati. The coaching carousel continues. We're almost at mid February Super Bowl weekend is days away. Frank Callahan, Luana Rumo, Dan Pitcher to be determined on where they're going to go when it comes to the recap of where they all stand. As of now, when we're recording this on a Tuesday night, Luana Rumo has a second Zoom interview with Arizona on Friday. He is one of the two candidates left for the Cardinals job. Mike Kafka from the Giants. Um, everybody knows him from working with Patrick Mahomes with the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, he's another candidate for them, an offensive guy, then a defensive guy. What that's going to look like for the Cardinals, we do not know. I have no clue where they're going. Brian Callahan, there are several coaches uh, still in the running for the Indianapolis Colts. I want to say they're on like their third interview. View going 12 hours with Jim Ursay and, and the Colts franchise. 
no clue where they're going. And Dan Pitcher was getting uh, reports that he's getting a second interview for the offensive coordinator position for Tampa. Uh, there were talks from Ian Rappaport a couple weeks ago, right before the AFC Championship game, that the Bengals did offer a lucrative extension to Dan Pitcher. A lot of people thought, well, they've already offered the extension. He's not going to leave. No, this is a promotion. You're going to take an offensive coordinator yep. job um, if it is out there versus being the quarterback coach. And obviously Cincinnati could promote him to be the offensive coordinator, which I felt like they were going to do internally if Brian Callahan leaves. But right now, we do not know what is going to happen. What do you think on this Tuesday? If you were to guess, we're playing the guessing game. We have no clue what Jim Mercer is going to do. Arizona, I just don't trust that franchise either. And then Dan Pitcher could be going to Tampa. What is? What do you think is likely to happen? Uh, so it's definitely a 50-50 thing in Arizona. I'm still – I'm now at – that's obviously, what, threat level red yeah. <laughs> for Louie Rumo leaving. Um, I think it'll be Kafka though I do too. like if you really pushed me and you're like you have to you have to pick right now who's it going to be like gut says Kafka because the NFL's always like these young offensive minds over the older defensive coordinator but man Lou must be interviewing really well <laughs> to be in the final two um and for Flores to not be he was supposed to be in the final three and then he just takes the defensive coordinator position he's like I think I'm out <laughs> so the look Awesome, Lou's made it this far, and I'll root for him if he is hired in Arizona. I think if you had to make me guess, it'll be Kafka. But I don't like guessing because I think that's a true coin flip. On the other one, I have absolutely no clue what Indianapolis is doing. Um, but I do think Callahan is likely to go there. But I'm not sure. I They still have like 100 candidates that are in the running, and it's, it's almost like – uh, it reminds you of a high school signing day and instead of having like three hats they've got like 10 hats in front of them <laughs> it almost feels like they're making the decision on signing day like uh, tennessee <laughs> but i don't know i like i don't think he's currently the favorite in betting odds but what do they know he wasn't even on the list earlier so yeah um the thing that sucks for cincinnati is there is a scenario where pitcher is hired soon as the offensive coordinator in Tampa. Then Brian Callahan is also hired later in the week. And I think that's the one scenario that's kind of like that stinks because that was the offensive coordinator to be, but now he's gone. And then the Colts took long enough that Callahan is also gone. So where do you go? Maybe Troy Walters, a wide receiver coach who's done a really good job and has an inter had an interview in Houston for their offensive coordinator position. Uh, the Lou Anarumo thing also stinks if he leaves because they're at the point where if they wanted an external candidate other than Al Golden in Notre Dame, who used to be the linebacker coach before this season, they're kind of gone. Uh, I think Sean Desai is the last like higher name defensive coordinator that's still around. But yeah, I mean, Flores went to Minnesota and Evero went to Carolina. It just stinks that like, yeah, yeah, the brain drain sucks in general, but to not be able to know what's happening, I think is also very frustrating. Here's what's annoying. Everyone got a little too loud over the last couple of weeks when it, they were talking about the Bengals assistants saying they weren't getting any interviews and then the season ended and then here we are again. Need everyone to just kind of be quiet. No, again, we, we've talked about it on this podcast. If you're a good team, people want to interview your coordinators. That's what's going to happen if Cincinnati continues to be good. Um, I think the, the losses are the biggest one for me personally. And Obviously, you want Brian Callahan to be here and Dan Pitcher internally if Brian's gone to have him promoted. And maybe those conversations happen if they find out in the next few days uh, that Brian Callahan's going to be the indie coach. They get that time to say, Dan Pitcher, you're going to be the offensive coordinator in Cincinnati. Do you want to go here in Cincinnati or do you want to go to Tampa? We don't know who the quarterback is going to be next year. Um, who knows what someone wants to do? It, it's always going to be a different scenario and how they feel. The Lou and Aruma thing, here's where I'm changing my mind. And maybe I'm being a little more optimistic and selfish because I want him to be in Cincinnati and I think it's extremely important. But today, over the last 24 to 48 hours, you're really hearing a lot from Kansas City when they're talking about, hey, Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, talking Mike Kafka saying, oh, you know, just 
really promising guy would be a great head coach. Let Arizona know there's a shining endorsement of what he did when he was in Kansas city. And everybody wants that shiny toy. And you look at what he worked with, with Patrick Mahomes. And obviously Patrick is different. Um, you could say the same thing for Brian Callahan. When, when we talk about Brian Callahan leaving, yes, you still have Joe Burrow, but at the same time, there's a lot of that coming out right now. And I think a lot of people get a little excited because they're like, Oh yeah. Offensive guy. That's what Kyler needs. Um, you know, we don't know because I truly think Lou Anarumo can change a franchise too. Uh, what he was able to do with the pieces on defense, and yes, they were talented guys. They spent good money and drafted well on the defensive side of the ball since 2019, his first season here when everybody wanted him out the door after one year. I think he can truly do that in Arizona. And I don't want to talk about too much because I want him to be in Cincinnati. And I think it's extremely important for him to be here next year if he does not get that job because you have Dax Hill. You have a lot of you know, year two guys, year three guys, young pieces on this defense. And I think having Lou here is going to help that development this year. And it's extremely important when you lose a guy like Jesse Bates and you have Dax Hill out there. So I want him back in Cincinnati, but I don't know, maybe I'm a little more optimistic here in all this talk uh, because it is Super Bowl week. So those guys are going to be talking and those questions are going to be asked when they know uh, somebody who's familiar working with Mike Kafka. I just, I agree with you. I think if if I were to say it right now on this podcast, I'm watching this find out uh, on Friday after the Zoom interview, it's going to be Louie Um, It just feels like it's going to be Mike. And it, maybe we're, we've just been in that similar situation with a guy like Zach Taylor when he was hired in Cincinnati after having a defensive mind and Marvin Lewis for so long in Cincinnati. Um, that again, I feel selfish even saying that. And it's, it doesn't feel right when I feel that way because there's only so many opportunities. And I think a lot of people look at the Arizona Cardinals job and they're like, Lou, why would you want that? You don't know when Kyler's going to be fully back, what that's going to look like. The franchise is still kind of a mess in their front office. Um, is that a position you want to walk into? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's 32 jobs. They're not, they're not always open. And you, you know, if you get that opportunity when you weren't getting a lot of head coaching interviews, you want to take that job. And obviously I think everybody in Cincinnati would be extremely happy for him and be sad if, if he was gone, but I don't know, I'm feeling Kafka right now. Yeah. Um, the thing with Kafka is he went to New York and did it with Daniel Jones. Mm -hmm. I think that's the big one. Uh, which is maybe also why Eric Bami doesn't get the love, but that Eric B enemy point where he's not, you know, he's behind Andy Reed. This is why Dan Pitcher could still leave because Zach Taylor is the head coach. He's the play caller. I know it's a very um, symbiotic relationship here with, uh, or uh, the, whatever. It's a lot of teamwork to call these plays and develop the game plan and the scheme and everything in Cincinnati. It's not just Zach Taylor. You could see a lot to me of the Brian Callahan influence of the Dan Pitcher influence, and then also the Zach Taylor influence. But if, pitcher wants to be a head coach maybe he still has a really good shot because of what brian callahan's at right now with indianapolis uh by staying in cincinnati but you also look at eric b enemy in kansas city and you kind of go well is that going to happen to me if i'm not the play caller do i just get stuck as the offensive coordinator for a long time longer than i want to that'd be why he'd still leave and i also wouldn't put it past if anna rumo is hired in arizona he'd probably go Hey, pitcher, <laughs> you want to come? Want to come call plays in Arizona? Like, I, I don't. I think pitcher is going to be a hot commodity. And yeah, the Bengals are offering a lucrative extension, but then there's two other opportunities, which are not just the promotion, but also you're going to call plays. Like, you're you are going to be the guy calling the plays, and that is clearly a stepping stone, even if it's a lesser offense. That's clearly also has its own merits to making your stepping stone to being a head coach. So. Yeah, uh, it'll be interesting. We're, we're running down to the wire. I, I'm surprised neither of the Philly coordinators seem to be uh, indie. No idea. Like I said, ten hats on the on the on the table right now. But it doesn't seem like they're uh, they're finalists. I um, want to say they want to stay in Philly. I think that was the last I heard. Was they're they're kind of good staying put. But obviously things could change if they win the Super Bowl and they say, you know what, I got yeah. my ring. Now I want to move yeah. to different opportunities. 32 jobs. 32 yeah. jobs, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, the one thing is that, especially for these first-time, would-be first-time head coaches, your Lou Anarubos, your Brian Callahan's, yes, you take that job like every time. I don't think there's a job you really turn down. It's just there's 32 opportunities. You're going to take one. When you're Dan Quinn and you went to a Super Bowl as a head coach, I think you can look at the jobs and go, no, mm -hmm. because – 
that that's what he's done the past two years where Denver really wanted him. And he's kind of like, no, <laughs> yeah. I'll wait. I'll wait until maybe he's waiting for next year and whoever can get that number one pick um, with um, that USC quarterback supposed to be awesome. So maybe he's just waiting, biding his time. He's like, I can wait. I've been a head coach. I've gone point. to a Super Bowl. I was, I went to overtime. Like I was seconds away from winning a Super Bowl. Um, didn't win it, but yeah, like that. He's he can wait. Uh, but when you're Brian Callahan, Luan Rumo, no, especially Luan Rumo because he's older, but fifty something. Um, yeah, he can't wait. You don't know how many jobs come up. Like I've mentioned with Vic Fangio, Vic Fangio was the coordinator of those 49ers defenses that were awesome with Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman and Justin Smith. He didn't get it. He didn't get a head coaching gig out of that. Like he never entire time in San Francisco, never got a head coaching gig. Then he went to the bears and he did it again. And then he finally got a head coaching gig. So we'll see how everything goes, but yeah, I'm not going to complain about any of these guys taking what are promotions. No, no, we'll be extremely happy. And then as I've mentioned before, just selfishly sad uh, because I'd love for them to return, but you have to be happy for someone who gets an opportunity that they've waited for, for a really long time in their coaching career. And we, you mentioned Dan Pitcher for Lou and Arumo. I was thinking uh, Troy Walters. I know he's obviously interviewing for the Texans. He could be a possibility that he could join him. I mean, these guys work so closely together on the defense, even offensive side of the ball when you work um, on a team like that. And I just think that, you know, it's, it is it isn't super surprising that maybe Arizona waits to maybe they wait until Monday, Tuesday of next week to make this announcement in case they they do have some people that they still want to talk to in Philly, or maybe they will change their mind when you think of that coaching staff, um, what that's gonna look like. But it just every time I think it's gonna be the next day they make the announcement. Um, we haven't heard yet, and it just sounds like the Colts will be at maybe sometime time at the end of the week. And then some of these guys they want to wait until after the Super Bowl to make it all about them and, and their head coaching hire. So maybe it is late next week and we'll get two more segments on uh what will happen for Lou Anarumo and Brian Kelly and Dan Pitcher and maybe Troy Walters. But I have a question for you. So they're doing these Zoom interviews, and uh this is gonna be the second one for Lou Anarumo. I mean, what do they what do they even talk about in these Zoom interviews? I mean, they're oh, saying uh, I've like done the hours for a job before. NFL job? What are we talking no. about? No, <laughs> but <clears throat> I don't know. I think the Zoom interviews are definitely a thing from the COVID thing. It's like I think they've realized we don't need to fly these guys out to learn about what we need to learn. Like. The guys should be. Oh, hopefully, Lou has the camera working. <laughs> oh my God, can you imagine? Like, Lou, but, Lou, can you... That would be hilarious. So, hopefully, he has that figured out. But uh, yeah, I, I think the Zoom interviews are fine. They're not draft prospects where you're going to ask him like, "All right, now <laughs> I'm going to call a play. I want you to draw it up." It's like, no, these, these guys are. It's like, a, explain to me your philosophy on whatever or what is your belief in the scheme or why, whatever. I don't know. I've never done the interview before. I assume there's plenty of things. What's your, I assume if I was going to ask Lou Anarumo a lot of questions, it would probably be, look, I know you've got the defensive side down. What are you looking for on the offensive side if you're the head coach? What are you, how are you going to maximize Kyler Murray? Because I know you're going to, squeeze you're gonna make lemonade out of lemons with this defense but we got to make sure that the offense works and yeah like you mentioned troy walters could go with it i guess the doomsday scenario is both oh, coordinators leave pitcher goes to tampa and walters goes to arizona with anarumo and now you're like has anybody lost this many coaches before and have probably one of you could have one of your best rosters in 2023 um if yeah. everybody's healthy and i, I mean I, I know you could lose jermaine pratt and, and jesse Bates, but at the same time this is still a lot of talent on offense and defense and that would be a lot and what's crazy about it all you could lose all those coaches and you could lose zero of them we're at that yeah. point where all of them could come back and for one last run i don't i i think next year would be the last year i could i don't see a scenario where you keep it another year after that. I just, I don't think so at that point, if they have another successful season with all of those coaches on staff. Certainly not all the coaches would come back after next year. If they make another run, I think that will be the 
yeah, that's uh, it'll be, they're, they're, look look how far these guys are in interviews and how we're talking about it. Like the, this is kind of writing on the wall. These guys are leaving. If not this year, then maybe next year. It's going to happen eventually. It stinks. It stinks being a good team, huh? <laughs> now I can't stop thinking about uh, Lou on a Zoom camera on Friday. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's why they hired Kafka because Kafka can figure out the, the camera. I would never tweet that because I would feel terrible saying it. But honestly, now, I mean, I, I just want to know. So when the Zoom interview is over on Friday, are they like, all right, we've made our decision. They need to talk about it for a couple more days. They've already talked to Kafka on Tuesday. Then they have this two to three day gap. And then they, I just need to, I need all the behind the scenes. on. Aren't, how they, aren't they going through a GM change, Arizona? Mm -hmm. I think, yeah. I think that's also playing a part because usually your GM does a lot with hiring the coach. Yeah. So they're they're probably also like, we don't even have a GM, guys. <laughs> it's just, it's that sounds just... like a mess. Lou, why, why, how about you stay in Cincinnati one more year? I don't think I'd want anything to know. Uh, but I, I don't. I, I, the one thing about Arizona is if you can get Kyler Murray, who's an awesome talent, to work out, then you're set. You know, like you've got a quarterback. We'll see if that happens, though, because, you That's know. a big ask. <laughs> a little bit. But he's, he's talented. He's very, very talented, and he's a unique talent, too. Um, if you can figure that out. And lose coach of that defense. I see how this works. I see how it works. Lou gets the most out of that defense with Buda Baker and all these other fun pieces. And then on the other end, they are able to work Kyler Murray and get him to be the best that he can be. Although it would be better if they had DeAndre Hopkins. It sounds like they won't. Oh, yeah. Hopefully he doesn't go to Baltimore. That's also a doomsday scenario. DeAndre Hopkins to Baltimore. It'll remind me of when Anquan Bolden went there. Same team, same type of player. Well, I could see a scenario, not to be like about Baltimore as we end this podcast, but I could see a scenario where Baltimore finally gets a wide receiver and then they trade Lamar. Oh, I'd be so mad as Lamar. DeAndre <laughs> Hopkins is coming. Woo! And you're going to Tampa. <laughs> there, are reports. there are reports they're a hundred million dollar difference in their guarantees. I've heard that too. Yeah. And that's a lot to figure out in a very short period of time when it is almost March. Um, but I just, it's just how Baltimore operates. Their defense is legit and it still terrifies me that Cincinnati has to go against that defense, uh, two times next year. But, uh, but overall on offense, I just see a scenario where they get a wide receiver and they're like, you know what? It's Snoop. It's Snoop Huntley. He's going to be our quarterback and we'll figure out the rest later. Or they find a franchise quarterback in the thirties again. All right. We need it in this podcast. I really think Anthony Richardson and turn him into a few days away from the Super Bowl. And we're talking about doomsday on here. We are going to be back. Optimistic mailbags, everything as we look forward to Thursday. Maybe we'll have a coaching hire. Maybe we won't. Uh, but plenty of content to get to when it comes to the Bengals offseason. Thanks for listening. Follow along Bengals underscore Sands. You can follow me at Alan Diaz Patterson. Thanks for listening to It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. <laughs>